0: Welcome to the Love Good Podcast, brought to you by our patrons. This is Jimmy Mitchell, your host. Join me each week as I sit down with artists and thought leaders to chat about music, culture, and what we call the art of being human. You see, Love Good's more than a subscription company. We're a movement of artists and patrons who believe in the power of beauty to evangelize our culture. And we're so pumped you're here. What's up, everybody? I'm so pumped. I get to sit down with my good friend Marisol Alisea, a regular contributor, director of operations. She's a whiz kid. She does it all. Marisol does it all. And today we're talking about the 2020 documentary, The Social Dilemma. Now, I know many of you have seen this. There's probably a few of you who are going to hear about it for the first time today. Most of my thoughts around social media have been recently very formed, developed, uh, inspired by a book called The Age of Surveillance capitalism okay it's by a harvard professor whose name i cannot pronounce very very fancy name but i first began realizing the manipulative power of social media i don't, I don't know maybe a couple of years ago and then i started to really research the the economic realities of these companies that essentially study our behavior manipulate our behavior and then sell our behavior to other companies and in a sense we have become the commodity. We have become the product, which is so scary. And when you think about, okay, yeah, these are free platforms, Facebook, Instagram, TikTok, you name it, Snapchat. Yeah, but at what cost really to our own personal freedom and self-respect? It seems like too high of a cost to me. And that's so much of what we sit down and talk about today, Marisol and I, and just, okay, how do we engage without running away, without putting our head in the sand? How do we engage social media and engage popular culture? This is the perennial love good question. Rather than running away, how do we engage and redeem the culture at large? That's what today's conversation is about. And by the way, I'm going to mention this again at the very end of the episode, but I've got a big time live stream retreat, an Easter retreat on Thursday, which reminds me, happy Easter, okay? This is Easter week. It's called an octave for a reason. It's an eight-day celebration. Whether you're Catholic or not, that's the Catholic understanding of it. You might as well enter into it. It's eight days of feasting, all right? We've just come out of 40 days in the desert, 40 days of fasting. Now we feast. The bridegroom is with us. He conquered death once and for all. All that being said, Thursday is gonna be an amazing, amazing retreat. I'll tell you more about that later. But until then, enjoy this excerpt of Water's Rule, a live recording from our fireside sessions with Jenny and Tyler we Nurse say welcome back.
1: Hi, Jimmy.
0: Happy Easter. Happy Easter. Yeah. I mean, we forget this. It's an eight-day celebration. Yeah. A 50-day celebration in some ways. As a liturgical season, for those of you who are liturgical Christians out there, you can appreciate this. It's mm-hmm. it's 10 days longer than Lent. Yeah. You know? Wait. It's wow. Thing about I
1: never. I don't think about that.
0: Well, I mean, it just means we're supposed to, like, live in the joy of it. Well, we should you know? be
1: living in the joy.
0: That's exactly right. The glory, the joy, the freedom, right? Yeah. Of death being conquered once and for all. Absolutely. But today is actually Easter Tuesday, at least when this releases it mm-hmm. is be Easter Tuesday itself. Mm-hmm. And that means that it's just as big of a deal as Easter Sunday, Monday, like literally it's called an eight day octave for a reason. This is also true of Christmas. I have a lot of friends who get very, very depressed the day after Christmas because like there's all this build up and there's so much excitement and there's decorations and there's cinnamon and there's yeah. just like all the smells and bells of Christmas that kind of begin in like yeah. late October these days yeah. you know what i mean and yet that is when christmas really does begin mm-hmm. is the beginning of this so i i like this idea of being able to stretch out festivity yeah.
1: and we should, yeah we should be living those that
0: octave well i totally agree
1: i have a best friend who is a Cloistered nun. So for any of our listeners who don't know what that is, if you hear of the great saints like Teresa of Avila, Lisieux, they live in one building their whole life and pray all day. And it's crazy beautiful life. But they do not drink any alcohol except during octaves. Really? Yes.
0: That's and, and then they
1: only have like one glass of wine or something. But but like um, I think Benedictines,
0: they would have at least a little bottle every, not yeah. a bottle, but like quite a significant but, amount every day.
1: That's a cool idea though, because it's like you're living... That you're recognizing this is the highest mm-hmm. celebration, and we need to live all eight days in celebration. This is hilariously so, relevant, yeah.
0: Because what we're about to really talk about is the need for for discipline and mm-hmm. and for asceticism. Really, yeah. is the word in social media in our relationship with technology in general, yeah. right? Not that like technology or or social media platforms should ever be associated with festivity, either. Yeah. You know. But there is this great need, I think, in the human heart to, to temper ourselves, to to mm-hmm. withhold so that we can properly engage and ultimately properly, like, feast, you know? No,
1: it's true because, I mean, we've both taken up this practice before in our lives, but I've been really passionate about fasting on Fridays. And I'm realizing it not only makes Fridays a much more spiritual experience, but also makes Sundays a much more spiritual experience because yeah. I get to rejoice in the fact that I can eat <laughs> and it take and we take something for granted the fact that you eat three meals a day. But mm. when you don't do that, then suddenly you you rejoice in the gift of food, and it also makes it. I realized like I noticed times where I don't know a meeting goes late and you're hungry or whatever, and I'm automatically like my brain's now triggered to like offer it up, like mm. offer that up. Because that's what I do on Fridays. And so now, I mean, it's such a beautiful way. Like fasting in general, either from social media or from food or from sweets or from everybody has everybody has one thing that they can give up. It's such a beautiful way to be more in touch with reality and yeah. more in touch with what it means to be human.
0: Yeah, it's neat too, because I think we've probably all heard about fasting really in connection to food, Yeah, you know? And we obviously can look out there and see there's a very sort of popular uh, at this point, like trendy move towards intermittent fasting, yeah. right? More as a health mm-hmm. sort of response uh, than anything else. But I also can look in and, and thank people like Exodus 90, our, our friends, yeah. our partners over there at Exodus 90, that there's so many other ways to fast and to and to practice discipline so that we can have greater freedom, greater joy, yeah. ultimately like greater freedom in our lives, you know? It wasn't until I did Exodus, which is a 90-day intense routine of prayer and fasting and asceticism and simplicity. It's really great, but it's really intense. It wasn't until I did it that I started to really take my relationship with technology more seriously because it is so easy to kind of go the unbridled route, which is the world's route with technology and to assume that every time my phone buzzes at me, I've got to look at it and check the notification. It assumes that I need to actually keep up with my my, my Instagram feed and, and make sure that I, I never miss a post. It, it's also for me, even all the way down to like the addiction to my email and never wanting my inbox to have anything in it, like to be constantly responding and constantly aware of what's happening out there when it really hit me hard is obviously at the very beginning of the COVID-19 crisis. Yeah. And suddenly there was actual news unfolding, not every 24 hours. Like it was not a 24-hour news cycle anymore. It was like a four-hour news cycle. Yeah. We all became addicted. And in some ways, there's a there's a need to stay informed, right? Yeah. And and to be aware and and not clueless. We don't want our heads in the sand. But at the same time, there's also a real need for discipline, for vigilance. And I would just say for a a, a right relationship with these things so that we can be more fully human and remain the master over our technology lest we become enslaved to it
1: and we talked about it in the last episode we talked about movies and how sometimes our brain doesn't know how to process this reality which isn't reality and i think it's also true for social media and for news like we're trying to process all of these things that you know like 100 years ago we would have no idea what's going on in other countries yeah like we have this now we have this ability to 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 take in news, not just local news, not just national news, but international news. Like we can know what's going on somewhere thousands of miles away that we may never ever know anyone that lives there. And now we have all this access that I think it does also make us less uh, connected to our local community. Yeah, like I don't really know who like the like I know who the mayor of Nashville is now because Mayor Coop. Yeah,
0: we know a lot about him,
1: (laughs) but I don't know a lot about what's going on in my community because. I'm very plugged into what's going on in our country.
0: Funny you say that. You know, it was about six years ago I ran for uh, Metro Council. I would have launched my campaign about this month in 2015. Hi. And I, you know, I got about 30% of the vote.
1: Mitchell from Metro. Mitchell
0: from Metro. <laughs> and it was a funny moment for a lot of my friends, especially the ones who are very politically engaged because they realize I know nothing about local
1: yeah, politics. Yeah, I know nothing. Clueless.
0: I So this is interesting, especially when you think about the way that social media can connect us with the entire world. Yeah. There is an illusion of connectivity, an illusion, Mm -hmm. ultimately, of communion and belonging. Like, I've got friends all over the country, and I I do rejoice in the fact that about once every six weeks, I'm talking to my friend Deacon Isaac Franson, soon-to-be Father Isaac Franson, Mm -hmm. all the way in Hamilton, New Zealand. Deacon. Yeah.
1: That's exciting. He's officially
0: a deacon. And it honestly blows my mind that I could have spent two weeks with that guy five years ago yeah. and then continue to see him about once a year since then. Mm-hmm. But now to stay in touch once a month or two, I mean, it really is a, an amazing friendship. It he's
1: like one of your best friends. Yeah,
0: and I, and I wouldn't think twice about that Yeah, day to day, how how miraculous it is that I can be in touch with him like I can. So there's so much good that can come out of these things. The problem came for me when I realized that I was actually addicted and yes. I had to start plugging my phone in on a different level of the house or in a different room entirely. I I could no longer use my phone as an alarm clock. Even when I travel, I often bring a battery-powered alarm clock. I do too now. Those things really, really do help to turn off technology at a certain hour. I I remember this conversation with Father Ryan Adorsian maybe about a year ago on the podcast. It's something that we sort of probably should never tire of coming back to Yeah, because even Lovegood, we're on social media. And you talk about this with Kevin Heider too. Yeah. And I'm not really sure I want to spend another dime on marketing dollars with mm-hmm. Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, YouTube, Google in general. Like, do I trust any of those institutions at this point? Of course not. Okay. Of course not. So why would I spend a dime, right, to just like push a post or to get a little bit better traction on someone else's feed uh, when ultimately, like, I don't really know where that money's going. Yeah. And I certainly know it's not going towards the vision for media and, and ultimately culture that we share here at Love Good. Yeah. It's yeah. interesting. I mean, how do you live in this tension yourself, especially as somebody who does hop on the Love Good Instagram story, who is trying to keep people aware and, and, and in tune with what we're doing here at Love Good, trying to, again, use something like social media even personally yeah. without it taking over your life?
1: Well, you have to have, like you do with anything in life, you have to have strong boundaries. So for me, I mean, we've talked a lot on the podcast about my departure from Instagram. Yes. So I think two years ago now, I got rid of Instagram completely personally because I realized it wasn't helping my friendships. So now I really only use social media for business. And the Love Good Instagram is kind of like my way of like really following the artists that we work with, really seeing what's going on. And so for me... I've re- and I, this is true for you too. Like Instagram work. Instagram is work. It's not very personal for us. No. Social media has become very much not a personal thing for me because I've realized that it's
0: not real. And you would just rather spend time with with people, with people in person,
1: and I'd rather talk to you about your engagement than see it on Facebook, absolutely. or about your pregnancy, or about your. Rather, you send me pictures. And of by your the way, I'm, I'm neither baby.
0: engaged nor pregnant. Just in case anybody's wondering. Sorry. Yeah, yeah, yeah no, but you got all these friends who are getting engaged and getting it's pregnant, true. <laughs> and wouldn't you rather have a, even a, a brief phone call?
1: Oh yeah, you know,
0: or an or intentional even a text. Absolutely. Like, yeah,
1: yeah I'd rather. Like, live with my friends rather than watch my friends live and have them watch me live. Yeah. Because it's really a false sense of community. Mm
0: -hmm. And this is, again, one of the fundamental principles of Lovegood. Yeah. Intentionality. Intentional. Not just in the music, books, and art that we consume and that we fund and that we, you know, ensure stay on shelves and stay, you know, out there in the world. Like, I think that's an easy thing to forget that, like, we really can fund, build, create alternatives, right? But this also plays itself out in social media, certainly in the way that we uh, engage with email inboxes and yeah. websites and all the things that are very much an ordinary part of life now, but still demand intentionality. Yeah. Because, I mean, how many times have we gotten lost I mean, on a feed?
1: But if you think about it, everything demands intentionality. You could, alcohol. If, you, if you're not intentional and if you don't have boundaries with your alcohol, we all know that that's bad news. Yeah. Like eating sweets even like certain friendships, like everything involves intentionality. And the problem is, is that we've been taught to not have any boundaries in Mm -hmm. our social
0: media. Mm -hmm.
1: And we both watched the movie, The Social Dilemma recently.
0: Where like literally you realize it's not just that we've been taught to not have boundaries. There's actually people out there manipulating us to make sure that we spend as much time on these platforms as possible. Yeah, That's scary.
1: And it's also scary, like even at an even more fundamental level, like we know cigarettes are addicting. We know that Alcohol is addicting. So, therefore, there's age limits on these things, legal age limits. However, social media is just as addicting as all of those things, if not more. And there's no limit. Hmm. You you don't have to be a certain age to get a phone. You don't yeah. have to be a certain age to be online. And children who don't have fully developed brains, who don't aren't old enough to make their own judgment calls, are completely absorbed by all these things. And sometimes... There are parents who just put their kids in front of them because yeah. it, it's, a, it's a babysitter. It's
0: a free babysitter. I mean, so tell us a little bit more about The Social Dilemma. It's been out for a while. Yes. I, I probably caught it. I guess it would have been over Thanksgiving. I watched it with my mom and my dad. Mm-hmm. They both fell asleep because at, at certain points, it does get a little bit repetitive. And it's not like this like super. It's not a happy uh, movie. No, no. <laughs> it's it's definitely a little depressing. Yeah. But it's, it's definitely more entertaining than a typical documentary as yeah. well. Tell us how you came across it and what do you hear the people saying since having watched it, you know, has it led to some serious changes in their lives as well? What do you think?
1: I mean, I know a lot of people who would have never thought of just like completely eliminating their social media accounts who did because of this movie. And I think for me, the part that was so interesting is the kind of the point that they make is that it's not that Facebook, Instagram, YouTube, all these people want to do harm to your brain. It's not that there are people that are trying to like do something bad it's more the fact that like no they're just trying to make money and don't necessarily care if those things happen right and there's and their their biggest issue is that there's no ethical boundaries on these things there's no laws in place to keep them from manipulating us Mm. and I think the main thing for me is like I notice random things popping up on Facebook that I'm like I know I don't know how they knew that like super super the, the other day I got on Facebook which I only do like once a month now since I watched that movie. And my current boyfriend's ex-girlfriend popped up as a suggested friend. We have no mutual friends. Yikes. It popped up as a suggested friend. And I was like, of course. Like, I mean, I didn't click on it. And I like really tried not to. But like, of course, that's like clickbait. You see that and you're like, how did it know that?
0: And then what's going to happen? You're going to go on some kind of pointless of course. search for past for pictures and yeah. past whatever. How and,
1: crazy is no, that? Crazy. I mean, it's yeah. like, I mean, in a, in a sick way, it's brilliant. Yeah. Because of course, it's the thing that you want to click on, but like, that's creepy.
0: I agree. I agree. And I, I don't obviously know the inner lives of Mark Zuckerberg and yeah. Jack Dorsey and, and these folks who have, you know, created these platforms that have changed the world, that mm-hmm. have changed Human culture have changed relationships, you know, uh, and and obviously in some cases for the better. You yeah. hear beautiful yeah. stories of long lost family members finding each other. You yeah. obviously hear stories of people meeting online. Maybe not. There's lots of people that media. have discovered
1: love good that way.
0: Absolutely. So again, in some ways, it it can be morally neutral, mm-hmm. right? But like a lot of things, it is it has got to be managed well. Yes. There's got to be a serious sort of philosophy that guides us and, and discipline that carries us in yeah. our engagement with social media.
1: And there's just so much power in it. That was the other thing that was a really big part of the documentary. Like the guy who invented the Facebook like button. He was saying how, it's like when we invented the like button, it's it's kind of hard to imagine the world before there was a like button. I can but, remember it. I, I got on I Facebook. Mean, I remember it. But August
0: of, do you though? <laughs> August of 2004, like. I had a Facebook account. And I was one of like 30,000 people. I don't know how old I was. I don't. Were okay. you even born yet? I, mean, <laughs> I was born. I
1: was born in 95. <laughs> you, were, you were
0: eight or something. Nine.
1: <laughs> I was in fourth grade, however old that is.
0: Yeah. And so the point is, Vanderbilt was one of the like 20 schools yeah. that was given access. I was like, oh, that's interesting. Facebook, you know. At that point, you had a picture and you had a feed. Yeah. And that was it. There was no liking. There was no sharing. There was no advertisement. There was no anything else. It yeah. was so refreshingly simple, to be honest. Yeah. yeah. But the like button. Anyway, got. so he was
1: saying, he was talking about how he invented the like button and he was thinking like, "My, I'm going to add all this positivity to the world. People can like someone else's like post. That's so cool. Yeah. I, he likes it. He likes it. And he's like, I didn't realize that not that long after that, there would be kids committing suicide because they weren't getting, like, because they were so obsessed with the likes. Yeah. And there was it's going to be this dopamine rush every time you get a like. And if you don't get it, you get depressed and all these different things. I, he couldn't have imagined that had happened. So, yeah. he's saying, like, we had no idea how much power we had.
0: Yeah, yeah. I mean, and they it, weren't even yeah. power
1: hungry. They weren't looking for the power. They just had no idea how much power was in these, like, they had no idea what they had invented.
0: Yeah. I mean, even a year and a half ago. I remember when they were trialing on Instagram, this yeah. hiding of likes, mm-hmm. you know? It never landed in, in America, or at least not with my account. I had friends in New Zealand where suddenly you couldn't, couldn't you, see the likes. and I thought that was kind of cool. Yeah. I wouldn't mind that. To be honest, I, I even right now, I'm so pleased by the progress, but there was a period of time where I would obsess over the number of likes. Yeah. Again, not because my personal worth was wrapped up in it, but because my like professional success the facade of success yeah. is like you want to look good
1: and there is there really is something psychological about that
0: yeah i just about think it's, the
1: like thing
0: yeah and so like for example i have seen a massive drop in the number of likes really across my personal social media yeah. and certainly love good over the last year or two and i could sit here and i could tell you oh it's because you know they're censoring us and i don't know maybe they are i have no, no idea maybe it's because you know we're getting drowned out by all the noise that that's probably very very likely but I have to say, it has, it has been really healthy for me to stop caring, yeah. and to recognize that, okay, if we're doing this for anything other than the goodness and the, and the beauty of it in and of itself,, yeah. then it is just become a bit of a game, yeah. and a bit of a competition with other people's platforms and other people's personalities and brands that, frankly, we probably deep down love anyways. yeah, you know, I, I don't want to hate somebody because they have 10 times as many followers and engagement yeah. as we do i want to love them and i want to be excited for them and i just think we get wrapped up in it's so fast the psychological effect is really really severe you know yeah i don't know when the transition took place within love Good, but i know on my personal platform it was within the last 18 yeah. to 24 months i just decided i don't care anymore and we can't care you know, we have and a lot it, more to care about. It's almost become more like a scrapbook for me. I know that <laughs> sounds super lame.
1: Actually, that was the biggest thing to, to like, deleting my Instagram. That was the thing that I was most attached to. Was yeah. like to be able to scroll at my own feet, my own profile, and like see just like all the beautiful memories. And there's something, that I've had there's something in my life. to that. And for yeah.
0: me, that's how Instagram started. Anyways, yeah, I didn't know and didn't care much about likes at that time. I just was happy to have this way of kind of chronicling yeah. my life. And at that time, I traveled. You know. Mm-hmm. I look back at it now and I'm actually so grateful for that. And I've decided to just chill out a little bit. I post maybe two or three times a week instead mm-hmm. of every day. And for the most part, I just don't really worry about who's consuming it. Yeah, I'm just really, really glad to kind of have this way of tracking my life as it's been unfolding, you know? yeah, Which is very different and maybe even kind of selfish or egotistical in a way. Yeah. But it sure is a lot healthier than being constantly worried about yeah. how many times my last post was liked, you know.
1: And I really would encourage everybody that's listening to start to set boundaries in their own social media. To like think about what what you just said about like you got to this place where like this is unhealthy and this is this is this is what I can do on social media. That's mm-hmm. good. Mm-hmm. And I've done this before. I think it's always good to like make a list of like what are the beautiful things coming out of social media in my life. Maybe you have a story of how you like connected with a long-lost family member or something. But um Think about the good things, think about the bad things, and try to maximize on the good and
0: throw out the bad. Throw out the bad. Yeah. That's a really good point. I think that's a really good place to be. And there are some who yeah. like you decide, I'm done. Yeah. It's time for me to just cancel yeah. Instagram. Yeah. <laughs> you know, once and for all. I
1: also canceled Twitter. I think last time we talked, I was talking about how much I love Twitter. I love I, it. I'm done with Twitter now. I I'm all about it. I have Facebook.
0: Once a month now. Yeah. Yeah. I I say the only thing I'm having a harder and harder time respecting is the people who aren't in some way being intentional and discerning with this. Of course. You know, because it will ruin you at some point if you don't pump the brakes and think about the implications. Even the folks who are super successful, the kind of people who, like I used to do, travel and speak and write books and, and have these influencer platforms. Do you know how many of those folks don't have friends at this point? I mean, mm-hmm. long before COVID, they were living behind screens, mm. which is fine. Some of them are really introverted, ironically. Yeah. A lot of people who, you know, are really great on a stage, for example, or really great behind a camera tend to be very introverted, yeah. you know? That's not me. I want real and fleshed yeah. friendships and, and community in my life. I think most of us deep down do. Deep down do. And, deep down and so deep. I don't really know that even the ones who find a lot of success, that they're exempt from the, the need for discipline either. They yeah. needed as, probably as much as anybody. You hear about all these like YouTube stars who g- mm. give them like a year or two and they'll have committed suicide. It's sad. Because they cannot keep up with the demands that they put on themselves, the the need that they feel to be constantly monetizing and constantly growing. And there comes a point where you realize life's gotta be, there's gotta be more to it than this, you know? Yeah.
1: So what are some other good like practical boundaries that you've placed or that people can place?
0: Mm. Yeah. I mean, ugh, this is funny, right? I mean, I'm even thinking back to when I got my first cell phone. It was a Nokia 3360 mm-hmm. T9. Yeah. anybody remember T9? Not the most efficient way to text. Do you know what I'm talking about? Yep, was it exactly. T9? All right, good T9. You know that that cell phone was a brick. Yeah, more or less a small brick. It could fit in my pocket. I want one. But for the most part, it <laughs> sat in my car. Yeah. You know, it had not only sort of a psychological. And practical purpose in my life, it, it even had like a geographic place to belong. Mm. So, you know, I mentioned the whole not using my cell phone as a alarm, a alarm clock anymore. I've seen a lot of families purchase these almost like little boxes that are nice looking, almost yeah. like you'd expect you to, to be able to put a bunch of mittens or something yeah. in them, But they're like charging boxes for phones. As and soon as you walk the in the lives. door, all the phone, they, it lives there. I love that. You know, and it, even when you do need to hop on the phone or you do need to whatever it requires intentionality yeah you know here in nashville when i was living here the last couple years we put the television in the closet yeah not because we were going to throw out the television but because we wanted anytime we turned on the television for there to be a little bit of work involved to make sure that it was worth it that Mm -hmm. it was intentional you know right now I'm, i'm still trying to convince my dad to let me Chuck the TV that's in my current living room in in Palm Harbor, Florida into a closet or a trash can or something. Because I'm just, I'm tired of it. I want to come home and I want to hear music. I want to read books. I want to maybe hop on the phone with people I love. I don't want to just passively consume Fox News because it's in front of me or CNN or you name the platform, you know?
1: It's also like, it's so weird the way that tv is like the centerpieces of homes now mm-hmm. you walk into a home and the, all of the chairs are oriented towards the tv and that's just not how we're made
0: yeah i walked into a family's living room last night uh-huh. big old beautiful two-story family in one of yeah. these great rooms massive grand piano in one corner a pump organ in the other seven or eight other instruments on the walls like it's kind of like a music room you know but I it. there was this. one point where we were all like singing together you know and it didn't last very long but for about like 10-15 minutes we were all like learning this melody line and then we were working on these two harmonies and I suddenly felt like I was back at seminary in the choir and honestly I don't know that it sounded great but it sounded good you know yeah and And it's fun and it reminded me too that there was a point where we had a world without recorded music in it Mm. so even when it comes to music how many people have never picked up an instrument, never learned how to to sing or or play music because it's in their minds, yeah, no longer necessary. Yeah. All you got to do is hit play on Spotify, you know, put it in your ears. or even worse, put it in your ears and have this isolated experience. So
1: no, because if you think about it, like before, the only way you could ever hear music was if somebody had a guitar, yeah. if someone was singing, and then enter. Then we got to re- recorded music on a vinyl record yeah which the only way you could do it is if you put the record in and you could be with multiple people in the room and you all heard it Try right. and then eventually we moved to CD players and like music used to be a communal experience mm. and now it's a very personal this is my Spotify playlist that that is curated perfectly for what my tastes are nobody else listens to it like there used to be the radio where you and whoever, however many people were listening to the same song at the same time, you couldn't choose it, you couldn't skip it. Mm-hmm. And now everybody like streams their own music, which there's also a lot of benefits to streaming. And,
0: and again, this is the attitude is yeah. to find the benefits, to find the good, yes. to be really disciplined with them. Yes. And to chuck out all the bad. So for some of us, we need to chuck out our televisions once and for all. Absolutely. Most of us, we probably just need to put it in the closet. Mm-hmm. You know, we need to rebuild even within our homes a, a priority of place for the things that yeah. actually Matter, you know.
1: Another thing that I want to mention is in the documentary too. They say, and everybody should do this if you haven't done this before: turn off your notifications. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You, I mean, we did that. We did that ages ago, but lots of people still haven't done and that. that turn me. off because even just looking
0: at your your phone and seeing a bunch of unread anything <sighs> it's like that drives me crazy. I think the only notifications that I have kept on are messages that I intend to reply to within 24 hours and phone calls, even emails. It's not notifying me every time I get a new email. Oh, no. And if there's certain things like work email that feels a bit important, but not like I'm on call,
1: I'll have it on
0: the second screen. Mm -hmm. So I can swipe right from my home screen. And there's a few other things that are like, ah, this is important enough for me to quickly see notifications, but not important enough for me to be constantly responding. Yeah. That's such a healthy, healthy way to do it. You're right. I'm actually shocked to realize that people probably don't go into their notifications and yeah. get really, really intentional with what shows up on their home screen all the time. Yeah. Because I think that should be one of the starting places for anybody who's got a smartphone.
1: Do you struggle with the Apple Watch? Or, or?
0: No, it's perfect. And this is, again, like it's about getting the notifications right. Yeah. It's about, you know, I've got this like internal system now. Whenever it doesn't vibrate, it pulsates, right? Mm-hmm. Which is great because you can't hear it. Mm. vibrating phones drive me nuts you can hear them especially if they're on a wooden table like this it just i mean takes over the entire so
1: it's like right on your wrist
0: yeah and i know exactly which pulsations mean what oh so if i'm getting a phone call i actually will only briefly look at it and unless it looks like an absolute emergency i'm not picking it up unless it's my boss jesuit high school down in tampa or an emergency, yeah. I'm not picking it up. Mm-hmm. And I can literally flash it and then look away. And then yeah. there's like an internal discipline with that. Yeah. I know exactly what it feels like when it's you know a text message. Mm-hmm. And I never look at those. I never, ever, ever look at text messages. It's just an internal reminder to next time I got a three-minute time window where like I'm walking to a, a bathroom or I'm walking in between classes or projects or whatever, then is my chance to check the phone. Yeah. For those of us who sit at a desk all day, we probably should literally have the phone somewhere that only even gets looked at once every couple of hours. I mean, this is like business 101 or or work ethic 101. We've got to be really, I think, intentional and even efficient with how we batch our tasks. And if you're constantly looking at an open inbox of of emails or constantly being distracted by notifications, you're never going to get any good work done.
1: No, yeah, there was a study saying like people who have their inbox open and are working it literally lowers your IQ. Yeah,
0: not surprised.
1: Like you're not as smart when your inbox is there and you're just like in the back of your mind, wait because you, you're using yeah. a mental energy to wait yeah. for that email or wait for that text message.
0: And, and here's the last thing I'll say is that this reminds me now of the importance of reading. Yeah. And I don't mean like magazines. I certainly don't mean social media. I mean, sitting down for a 45 minute block of time. Turning off the phone. Turning off, certainly turning off Don't the phone. let
1: anyone come in the room. <laughs> Maybe
0: not even have music going, you yeah. know, like have a cup of coffee. If you're old enough, have a little glass of scotch. Have a truly leisurely moment yeah. with your brilliant intellect yeah. that was given to you by God himself. And that makes you most like him, right? Yeah. Cultivate the life of the mind because there's a muscle in there that has to be worked. Like every yeah. other muscle has to be worked. Prayer is a muscle. The life of the mind is a muscle. And I'm terrified of waking up one day and realizing that I've lost my attention span because social media has destroyed it. Yeah, You know, if I can't sit down and read consistently for more than 45 minutes at a time, I'm actually in the red zone as far as I'm concerned. And yeah. that means I got to rebuild that muscle again. I've and started, work my way back.
1: That's become a routine on Sunday afternoons with my boyfriend, we... Put our phones away and we sit in the same room and just like read and don't talk, don't do anything for five minutes.
0: Huge fan of that. Yeah. Really, really great. Well, Marisol, as always, what a pleasure and what a convicting moment, I hope, for many of us. I hope so too. To recognize that we're never done being disciplined in these areas of our lives because you know, virtue really is a long haul. You know, a great quote that I read about a year ago. The only way to lifelong freedom is Commitment, faithfulness to the struggle. Mm. You know, we're never done struggling for freedom, fighting for virtue. And this absolutely plays itself out in social media and technology. And it's a big, big part of what we do here at Love Good. So thanks for all these powerful and personal reminders. We'll see you in about a month. All right. Show me how to stay here, stay here, stay here. listening to Heaven's Eyes by Jillian Edwards from our most recent Fireside Sessions. Always such a joy getting to sit down with Marisol. As I said at the beginning of the episode, super important, very exciting announcement that on Thursday, I'm hosting yet another live stream retreat from the Love Good studio in Tampa. We're going to be diving into the mystery of Easter, the mystery of the resurrection, the, the reality of never needing to live with fear ever again. That is the great joy of Easter, the glory of Jesus conquering death once and for all. And we're going to get personal. We're going to really dive into what that looks like for our lives to live with fearlessness, to live with courage, to live with hope. Because ultimately, I mean, this world wants us to believe otherwise. Our hope isn't in anything but heaven. Pretty amazing stuff and so amazingly easy to forget. So we're going to really dive into it on Thursday night. That's again, 8 p.m. Eastern, 7 p.m. Central. Go to letbeautyspeak.com. Claim your front row seat today. And if you want to be a part of a Q&A with me afterwards, you got to be a patron. You got to be a patron. We'll send you a hidden link, a private link if you are already subscribed as a patron. But if not, you're going to want to go to joinlovegood.com today. And that way you can be a part of that. You can meet some of our other patrons across the world. These are such cool conversations. I, these are actually probably the highlights of the live streams for me. Is hopping on Zoom afterwards. I just love it. I love it. I love it. And you guys are the reason for... Love good. Don't ever forget that. Our patrons, our listeners, those of you who are out there on the front lines, truly building a better culture, evangelizing through beauty. You're the ones we're standing with. You're the ones we're fighting with. And we can't thank you enough for the incredible witness of your lives. It brings me great hope, great courage, and great confidence. God bless you guys. Have an amazing rest of your week. We'll see you on Thursday. Peace. Thanks for listening to the Love Good Podcast. Share this episode link on social media, leave us a review, and join our movement today by subscribing as a patron at joinlovegood.com. You'll start enjoying our premium content and seasonal packages that not only raise your standard for music, books, and art, but that also inspire you to evangelize culture through beauty. We can't wait to accompany you as you change the world.